Turn in your Bible to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Some Sunday night, I will finish this message. I'm not sure when. I thought I'd finish it tonight. I have a four-point outline that would bring it to completion. But earlier this evening, the Lord laid another three-point outline on my heart that really comes before the four-point outline. I don't want to reach, feet, preach all those points tonight, four or five, that's seven points. So I think I'll have to divide it. I think one of the main thrusts of this chapter is Paul is saying to the Thessalonian Christians, time is running out. Let no man deceive you, time is running out, but there's still time. Time is running out, but there's still time. And the thrust of what he was saying is, don't let anybody deceive you, even as, as if they had a letter from me or an angel came and said it. Because somebody had written them and said, the Lord has already come and you've been left behind and what Paul was teaching wasn't true. And so Paul wrote 1st and 2nd Thessalonians to those Christians where he'd only spent three weeks in ministering to them, giving the whole counsel of God and he wrote them to correct that false impression. He said, let no man deceive you. And that's the theme of this chapter, let no man deceive you. May we pray. Heavenly Father, guide us tonight in this study and may we be so strengthened and covered over with the, the shield and the buckler and, the, and the, all the armament of God that we would not be open for deception. We pray in the name of Jesus that the Holy Spirit would do his work of conviction tonight. Amen. I want to read you those first three verses again. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of the Lord is present. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come the falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed the son of perdition. Now, if I were going to preach on the last four points, I would tell you there will be a falling away. The temple at Jerusalem must be rebuilt. The restrainer will be removed. And the church must be completed. The bride of Christ must be completed. That would be an outline that I'm going to bring you another night. But tonight, God has laid on my heart this, this thought. Time is running out. This is a great people. This is a great church. This is a great... You're, I, to me, you're the greatest people in all the world. And I love you with all my heart. And it is not always easy to bring messages like this to you, to people that I love. But I feel constrained to say the things that must be said tonight. So I want to tell you that the time is running out. Let no man deceive you about this. And we live in, a, in, a, in an era of deception. The very calendar itself is a deception. You, the other day, I, I wager that if I wagered, if I bet, that some of you still have November on your calendars at home. You haven't changed them yet. And the reason for that is because time passes so fast. So fast that in order to stay up, you have to change the calendar the day before or else you're already behind when you get up the next day. 
time is passing so quickly and yet there is still time fast away the old year passes and then they add follow la 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 which which means so what to make a difference let's go on everybody knows that's true and so on 1985 will be history in just a few days it seems impossible that when we meet here next Sunday night the living Christmas tree will be up there the Lord willing we all work at it and that when it comes down 1986 will be here we're living in days that travel like lightning time is running out and so the Lord laid this on my heart in con concerning the coming of our Lord he could come any moment any hour any day and it may well be that we will not observe a Christmas here but we'll observe the Christmas yet to come before December 25th Jesus is coming I do not know when but he's coming and we must always live in the air of expectancy of his coming but let me lay this on your heart time is running out let no man deceive you time is running out for the seeing of the vision that God would lay upon our hearts it was a time when God said Noah I want you to build an ark I'm gonna give you 120 years to build that ark my spirit will not always strive with men and for 120 years he preached and he built and he preached and he built because he saw the vision and he did what God told him to do but not very many would listen matter of fact the record says nobody listened and when it came down to the wire he and his family got in the boat and the whole generation perished but Noah saw the vision suppose he had not there came a time when God said to Moses at the burning bush take your shoes off the feet the place you stand is holy ground I want to send you back over to Egypt and I wanted you to go down to Pharaoh and say God said let my people go and though he gave some excuses Moses was able to see the vision and to hear what God was saying to him and with lightning like speed he went to Egypt and he appeared before Pharaoh just a nameless nobody somebody out of Egypt's past who one time had been heir to the throne but had long been forgotten now 40 years had gone by and he went before Pharaoh and, and he said God said let my people go and he had the audacity to say that over and over and over again until finally with a with a hand of God upon them Israel went out of that land of bondage into a land of promise he had seen the vision there was a time when God said Jeremiah before I formed you in the, your mother's womb I knew you I had a mission for you I had a purpose for you my purpose is that you be a prophet to the nations I have ordained you that you should go and tear down and build up and destroy and construct and for 40 years Jeremiah went down to the city of Jerusalem and preached the wonderful word of God and they tried to arrest him and they put him in dungeons and they put him in prisons and no one would listen and after 40 years the Babylonians came in and took over the city of Jerusalem and sacked the city and burned the temple and Jeremiah had he really accomplished anything yes he did what God said to do because results are not always measured as men see them he was a lonely prophet on a lonely street declaring the wonderful word of God and if the people did not listen it wasn't because Jeremiah didn't declare it 
There was a time when God said, John, I want you to go as a forerunner to the Christ and preach in the jungle of the Jordan. And John the Baptist obeyed the Lord and he went and preached, bring forth fruit, meet for your repentance. And then one day he interrupted his message and he said, behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. There came a time when Herod had something to do with his brother's wife. And John the Baptist didn't have any more sense than to do what God said to do. And he said, that's wrong. God said, that's wrong. He meddled in the political affairs of his day. And some religious people said, John the Baptist, you ought to stay out of politics. Preachers ought to just stick to the Bible. Don't say anything about the people's morals and so on. And John the Baptist said, poppycock. God told me to say it and I'll say it. And he said it and he went to jail for it. And finally, his head was taken off. Why? Because John the Baptist saw a vision and he did what God said to do. Came a time when God said, Ezekiel, I've set you as a, a prophet to the nations. You're, O oh, so thou son of man, I have set thee a watchman. When you see the sword approaching, if you don't say anything about it, that wicked man will die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou speak to warn the wicked of his way and he die in his iniquity, you will have delivered your soul. And Ezekiel dared to preach, take stands for things that were righteous and godly, and he called a nation to repentance. They may not have listened, but he did what God said to do. Now, I want to tell you, God has given this church a vision. Time is running out on our vision. But God has given this church a vision. A vision of a world in need of the gospel. Over in Africa, down in Colombia, down in Ecuador, over in Japan, in Indonesia, in the South Sea Islands, all across the continent of America, all across the state of Kentucky, all across Warren County, all across Bowling Green, God has put a heart in the heart of this church for a world in need of the gospel. And that vision is there, and we're going to have to deal with it. What shall we do with the vision? That vision was given to us years ago. God began to implant on our hearts that the influence of the Glendale Baptist Church would go out like ripples on the sea to the uttermost parts of the world. There would be people who sit where we sit and they'll go out with the glorious gospel. Some laughed at that, some scoffed at it, some said that's just a preacher's dream. But I want to tell you, God is doing that. God is doing that. But the greatest is yet to come. The years are before us. God put it on our hearts that this was not a little neighborhood church that would sit here for 30, 40, 50 years in one little place here and just sit here and uh, minister to a neighborhood. Thank God for churches that do that. Thank God for churches all over this county who have stood in one little geographic location, had that same building for years and years and years and years. And people go back to that building and say, well, I got saved there. I had my spiritual life start there. And so on. You try to get them to move the membership from that place. No, no, no. I'm a member of that graveyard out there. I'm a member of that cemetery over there. While my grandpa and great-grandpa and great-great-grandpa is buried there and so on. Well, thank God for that. But I want to tell you, God never planned that for Glendale. God put in the heart of this church a desire to see a whole city reached and a whole county reached and a world touched for God. And the question we face, can we do that on three acres of property? 
Can we have the school? Can we have the Bible Institute? Can we have a junior college later? Can this church reach out and ultimately have a home for older people? Can we have a home for wayward boys and wayward girls? Can this church do what it needs to do in this city? Or are we going to sit here and let some other group take the place that we have? We had a challenge to our hearts several years ago that we ought to have a Christian radio station. And somebody raised their eyebrows and said, well, it costs too much. And you know what God has done? Listen, do you know what God has done? And I say this with a heartbreak. God has passed us over with that and let somebody else start a Christian radio station. Why? Because there are others who are willing to give and give and give and sacrificially give and talk the work up instead of talking it down. Instead of saying, well, that's just too much. We can't do it. There's too much money, too much price to be paid. We can't ever do it. Kink, kink, kink is out of the will of God. We can't do anything unless by faith we have a vision. And I want to tell you, the time is running out. Let no man deceive you. The time is running out on that vision. We either take it at its high tide or we walk in the shallows all the rest of the time. Time is running out for the foreseeing of the vision. And I could go on, but I must go on to another thing at this point. Time is running out for the following of the will of God. Not only must we see a vision, but time is running out. Let no man deceive you. And there are lots of folks that would come along in, uh, you know, in real nice clothes. I'm not talking about nice $300 suits, but they look nice. They're here regularly. Start around like this. You really think there's somebody. They're constantly quibbling, constantly tearing something down. Oh, you may not even recognize it. Too much. Can't do that. Can't do that. Can't do that. Can't do that. Can't do the other. You'll never be able to do it unless by faith you can catch a vision of what God wants this church to do and then say, by the grace of God, shoulder to shoulder, sacrifice of our gifts and our time and our talents and everything, we'll do it. Do you know what? I see a vision and I saw it years ago of a time when our church, our choir would present the Messiah every year. Makes me sick that we're not seeing any of Handel. But do you know why we're not? We've got a gold mine in Brother Jim Yates. But you can't expect him to meet with one little group one night, another little group another night, another little group, and then finally at the last minute a whole bunch of others come in. And he doesn't know whether we can do it or can't do it. So he has to do what we can do. And I want to tell you, I love you. You know I say this with a heartbreak and a heartache. God wants every man and woman and boy and girl that can sing to do it. I think we ought to have the Messiah sung in this church every day. And I want to tell you, if you don't have an appetite for it, we'll help you create an appetite for it. It's the most beautiful music ever sung. When George Frederick Handel first presented it, <coughs> he presented it, people said, well, the people won't like it because that's too highbrow for them. And from the first night it was presented, the people from all the strata of society came to hear it. The king was there. The harlots were there. And it was so thrilling. The king stood when they sang the Hallelujah Chorus. And harlots got saved. But time is running out for the following of the will of God concerning that vision that we've seen. Time is waiting for a Darren to get up and say, yes, I'll join the choir. 
Time is waiting for some of the others, Bob Stevenson, to say, yes, sir, I'm going to sing in the choir, and I'll go usher, and I'll go back to the choir, and I'll do all these things. I'm going to get in, and I'm going to take some time and steal it from someone else. I'll just barely get into Bowling Green at 730, and I'm going to run over the choir and get in it. I'm going to ask God to help me with my high blood pressure, or low blood pressure, or whichever you have. <laughs> you see, it's a matter of time sacrifice. And I'm not just picking on these men. I'm talking about all of us. All of us. Every one of us. By the grace of God, I do not believe that we have a right to expect more of our missionaries than we do of ourselves. Do you? I don't think we have any more right to expect Lottie Moon to go over there and starve to death in China than for us to give and give and give and give until we don't have any more to give. And the time is running out for the fulfillment of that vision by following the will of God. Moses, I want you to build that tabernacle out in the wilderness. But, but Lord, Lord, we're going to move around all the time. We're not going to be in one stationary place. Build the tabernacle like I told you. Moses said, all right, Lord, I'll do it. And he built the tabernacle in the wilderness. And every time they moved, there was a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night that followed them saying, God is here. God is here. The time when God said, Solomon, I want you to build the temple. The time for the tabernacle is not needed anymore. We want a temple that will honor God. Solomon built the temple, the most beautiful, beautiful temple that was ever built. And the queen of Sheba came and said, not half has been told. There's a time when Paul was at Damascus. A light shone down. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you? I am Jesus whom you persecute. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord told Paul what to Saul what to do. There was a day when he stood at Troas. He had in his heart great desire to go east and north to Bithynia and up into Mongolia and into Russia, that area. God said, no, I want you to turn west. And at Troas, he saw a vision in the night. Some men from Macedonia said, come over and help us. And the next morning he got up and said, the Holy Spirit spoke to me in a dream last night, in a vision. And he said to go across the Aegean Sea and go that way, go westward. And so they went westward and they planted the gospel in Europe. We're descendants of those first disciples spiritually from Europe because they dared to follow the will of God. Well, I will tell you, we've had some forebearers who dared to follow the will of God in our church. We've, we, have a, we have a problem here. There are not too many of us here that were here years ago when we had a little old room with, with chairs in it. We had to set the chairs up every Sunday. Some of you were here then. It wasn't hard to say, well, we need an auditorium. So we built the flat roof building. Didn't have any money, but we built it and sacrificed and went in there and painted the building, laid the tile. When I got a couple of our men to go down to Morristown, Tennessee with me and get the pews, and, and we, we have beautiful buildings, flat roof. It wasn't fancy, but it was pretty. Any of you remember that? Flat roof building? Lift your hand. Some of you do. All right. Now, in 1962, we moved into this beautiful place. And every time I confess to you, every time I come in here, I say, thank you, Jesus, for this beautiful auditorium. Some of you may take it for granted. You look at our dirty pews, and you look at this and that, and the other torn rug and so on. It isn't nearly as torn as it once was years ago. But you look at these chandeliers and beautiful things here and beautiful windows, and I say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. 
But I believe we've gotten set in our ways and satisfied. And we've got this lovely auditorium and we say, so what, so what, so what? Well, I won't tell you. We've got to decide whether God is laying on our heart a vision to reach the city of Bowling Green and the regions beyond. And if we can do it at this location and buy additional property, praise God. Our committee said some time ago it would cost a million dollars to buy the property up to Small House Road and the property that we need here to, for the next 25 years. And if that's a good investment, all right. The committee thought it wasn't a very good investment, but that's, that's fine. But we must, must, must plan for the next century if the Lord tarries. And the time is running out for following the will of God. There could be a day when God will say, Okay, Glendale, I'm going to accept what you are doing. I'm going to let you be that neighborhood church. And there's a place for that. And we've got to decide if that's the vision God put on your heart. It wasn't on my heart, but if that's the vision. And if it is, then let's settle it. Let's hold on and settle it once for all and just if it isn't, then let's say by the grace of God, we're going to sacrifice and give and work and pray and move together and stop the quibblers by giving them five positive statements. You know the best way to stop people that quibble? You just stand there and say, oh, I see, I see what you're saying. I see where you're coming from. They think you're agreeing with But if you say, no, I don't agree with that. I don't see that. Well, you know, God wants us to do this. God wants us to do this. Pretty soon they'll stop talking. And they'll see it your way. I believe that's what God wants. Be not deceived. Brethren, let no man deceive you. The time is running out for the following of the will of God. And thirdly, last of all, time is running out for the hearing of the well done of Jesus. Some of you in this room are not going to be here long. You about like I am. You've been here a long time. You're going to go on sometime. We're going to step in the presence of Jesus. What shall we say to him? What will he say to us? By and by when I look on his face, I'll say, Lord, I left all my money to my children so they could quabble, squibble, and quabble, squabble over it and get all messed up and upset and mad at everybody, mad at me because I didn't leave it more to one than to another. Or Lord, uh, I just gave all my assets to just nothing, just did nothing with them. Or are we going to be able to say, Lord, I put in my will that after I'm gone, the things that I've used as tools, the money you've let me have, I share a little bit with my kids. But they can work for themselves. They don't have to get an inheritance. I want to invest what I have in the work of Jesus. So it will go on and on and on into eternity. And by and by when I look on his face, I wish I had given him more. More, so much more. Let no man deceive you. Time is running out to see the vision. To follow the will of God concerning that vision. And to hear the well done of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 25, his Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Verse 23, his Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. 
thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. I want to commend many of our people for sacrificial giving. I know I look into the faces of some of our dear precious people tonight who have given and given and given and given and given of yourself and your love and your time and your interest and your involvement and your talents and everything. You're sacrificial givers. God bless you. When you stand in his presence, you'll hear his well done. I want to say to the rest of us, a challenge. Let's not be satisfied until we've given sacrificially. If we make $107 a week and 96 cents or whatever, don't write a check to the Lord for $10.76 or whatever it is, you know. Don't, don't say, well, Lord, I'm going to see how close I can come. I've got to give you a tithe and I regret doing it, so I'm just going to barely give you the tithe. Give God a little bit more. Give God a little bit more. Enter into the hilarity of giving, the joy of giving, time. Talents, tithes, are all on the altar. Tommy Hossel was a very dear friend of mine. I knew him in college days. He was pastor of Poplar Avenue Baptist Church in Memphis. It came to December time. They were giving out these Christmas offering envelopes. He didn't have very much money. One Sunday night, he took a little piece of paper and he wrote on it his name and he put it in the envelope and he put it in the offering plate. He said, Jesus, I give you me. Sometime later, God called him as a missionary to Brazil. He has been serving in that country for many years. I dare you to give Jesus you this December. Your mind, your thinking, your attitudes, your vision, your gifts, your talents, your money, you're all on the altar. Just give it to Jesus and see what he'll do with you and me. We can never tell what God can and will do with and through a person totally yielded to his will. D.L. Moody wanted to do the will of God very much. He just had a third grade education. He was from a poor family in Massachusetts. His daddy had died and his mother had had to take in all kinds of things to make a living and had the children quit school early so they could work and could make a living. He got saved when he was 17 years old. He went to Chicago and he said, I'm not gonna live in poverty, I'm gonna make a million dollars. And so he got a job as a shoe salesman. He was a crack salesman. He didn't have much education, but he had a lot of, of everything else. Everywhere he went, he was, he was a crack, he was a top salesman. He's, he was concerned for souls. He began to go out on the streets of, of Chicago and get little dirty urchins, people that others were passing up. He started the first bus ministry. He hooked a wagon to some, some horses. And uh, he'd go out on Saturday and tell them all about it. He'd get a stick, put a stick down on the ground, he'd go, Whoa. Crazy Moody. Crazy Moody, but he got all the kids' attention. And he said, I want you to go to Sunday school with me tomorrow. And he got them on that bus, the wagon with horses. 
And he took him down to the Presbyterian church because that's where he'd go into church. He didn't, he, he, he tried to get in the congregational church where he was, the man Ed Kimball led him to the Lord, but the church wouldn't accept him because he couldn't give a good enough testimony. So he was going to this Presbyterian church and he'd bring all these little old urchins in here. And finally, one day the usher said, our church board has had a meeting and, and we're glad for you to come, Mr. Moody, but you can't bring all those little old dirty kids in here anymore. You're messing our church up. So Mr. Moody took his kids out, went across town, rented a storefront. And he filled that building with all these little kids. Abraham Lincoln was coming through Chicago. He heard about that. And he went out to that Sunday school. And he commended Mr. Moody and the kids for what they were doing in reaching people from the streets of Chicago. It was from that little group that he began the Illinois Street Church, which is now the Moody Memorial Church in Chicago. It no longer has that vision, but D.L. Moody had that vision. Soon his church burned down in October of 1871, along with the Chicago Fire. He went to New York to try to make some money and try to uh, beg some money, but his heart wasn't in begging. He wanted to be full of the Holy Spirit. And God moved upon him in an unusual way, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit and God impressed him that he ought to go to London. And he went to London. And he said, while I'm in London, I've heard about the great preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He said, I want to hear him. And he went to Spurgeon Tabernacle, Metropolitan Tabernacle. It was packed and he had to sit way up in the tip top of the balcony. And that day, Henry Varley was there at Spurgeon's church. And Henry Varley was giving a word before the great Spurgeon preached. And Varley said, the world has yet to see what God can do with and in and through a man totally yielded to the will of God. That just went like an arrow through Moody's heart. Mr. Moody walked out of the church that day, different man. He walked down the street. He said, that man said, just any man. He didn't say he had to have a college education, didn't have to have a seminary education. He said, God can do something with any man. He said, by the grace of God, I'm going to be that man. D.L. Moody went out with his third grade education to win a million people to Jesus and found some of the greatest schools our nation has ever had and to leave an imprint on lives. Why? Because God got all there was of him. Now, friends, I want to ask you, can God have all there is of you? As a young man, a young woman here tonight, can God have all there is of you to do his will? As a family, can God have all there is of you to do his will through your family and through your church? As a church, could God have all of us, all of us, and say, Lord, I put my all on the altar for you. Could we say that to him? The world has yet to see what God can do. And I want to tell you, we dare not just stand here and look backward. God forbid that we should do that. But even in looking backward, we can say, thank you, Lord, that you took a little insignificant people like this. You put them here together, and you've created an atmosphere where nearly 200 young people could hear God's call 
and go out to represent Jesus in other places of the world. What he's done before, he can do again. God can do it. God is not dead. The same God that has done it in the past will do it again. But he waits for our willingness. He waits for our togetherness. He waits for our yieldedness. He waits for us to say, here am I, Lord. Use me, send me, break me, make me, mold me. May we pray. Our Father, we realize the deception that is all around us. And thy word has impressed my own heart with that phrase, let no man deceive you. I pray that tonight the Holy Spirit of God will get hold of somebody's heart. That there would be a young man, a young woman. There would be a family man or woman. There'd be some adult, somebody who would dare to be a sign to this church. Who would walk down the aisle and say, by the grace of God, God can have all I am. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord through the Glendale Baptist Church and honor Christ and put our lives together and be what God wants. Lord, I pray that you'd call somebody from this place to preach, someone to missions, others to be soul winners right here in this city, others to man the mission stations of our buses, our Sunday school classes, and to do what God wants done. Have thy way in the precious name of Jesus. May we stand, please. What is that? 252. Come every soul by sin oppressed. There's mercy with the Lord. Brother, let's sing I Surrender All tonight. Is that all right? Let's, let's turn to that song. All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. Now I want to ask you, is there somebody here tonight who could dare to say that? All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. Now folks, it... it I'm talking about sacrifice. I'm not talking about giving God the leftovers. I mean sacrifice, right down the middle, where you do your work and then you do the work for Jesus. I've said to our staff, we don't have any right to work 40 hours in the church and then not be here on Thursday night and Wednesday night and Sunday night and Sunday morning and the other stated services of the church. And here I preach that our people who work 40 hours a week somewhere else should come. Our staff has no right to do that. So every staff member in our church is here. If you see one that's not here, talk to them about it. They need to be here. They teach in our school, they teach in the nursery, they teach in the daycare, they ought to be here. Just like people that are serving in public work somewhere, they work 40 hours a week there, then they ought to be at the work of God. And I want to tell you, you can't build a great work for God without commitment and all the altar dedication. And I'm asking God to lay it on the heart of somebody here tonight to say, Lord, I'll, I'll put my all on the altar for you. If it means going to Japan or to Korea or to Mexico or going as a missionary somewhere or going as a, preparing myself to preach the word, whatever it means, or if it means standing by the stuff helping to build the work here. I'm going to do it for Jesus' sake. All on the altar. Do what Jesus tells you to do while we sing.